0: and Thunder. We're talking Dice Masters, the beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play.
1: If you're just starting the game, or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your
0: bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. (laughs) <laughs> well, falchirash, a Welcome back to YouTube. All right. Saddle up and let's get ready to ride because we've got something special going on today. I don't even want to call it an episode because it's a celebration, right? Kinchigajim. <laughs> you betcha. We've been teasing this thing for months now. And here it is upon us at long
1: last. The Hall of Fame Induction. First ever. Boy howdy, G. Wilkers.
0: (laughs) But before we launch into the festivities, let's lay down some context. Spool away. Right. When we were designing the show, one of the things we really wanted to do was to celebrate the lore and the history of the game, and to tip our proverbial caps to the people who, in their own special way, have left an imprint on the game or have gone beyond the norm to breathe life into the community. So our idea was to inaugurate an unofficial Dice Masters Hall of Fame to properly recognize the retired or semi-retired giants of the game and or pillars of the community. Each week, we asked our guests to nominate someone for the hall, and we promised that at the end of the season, we would count up the nominations and make an induction. And the time is
1: now. Well, as fate would have it, there were a lot of worthy first ballot candidates. Honestly, we didn't have enough guests to nominate all the deserving souls. And unsurprisingly, out of our seven unique guests, we had seven different nominations.
0: (laughs) Which means that we were put in the unenviable position of having to break a tie. So let's review the candidates. From the first show of last season, Patrick Shadowmouth Barley nominated the King of Dragons himself, the Terror of Southern California, the Great and legendary Michael Lee.
1: In episode 2, current world champion Ben Scott nominated a Brewer's Brewer, a Dice Masters Evangelist, and opener of minds. Folks will remember him from his days with the Double Burst crew. Of course, we're talking about the one and only KO King Russell Love.
0: Then on episode 3, Alex Rodriguez pointed his finger north to the land of my upbringing, to the mighty mitten of Michigan, and to the Motor City itself. And he singled out the 2018 U.S. Dice Masters champion, Alec Jr.
1: Shrake and threw his deserving name into the mix. In episode 4, we pow out with the archivist himself, the Keeper of Lore, who nominated one of the original deep thinkers and proselytizers of the game, a tremendous player in his own right and founding member of Dysonon, the Great Nick Pham.
0: Then in Episode 5, the Sultan of Swarm, Mr. Truby Turner, nominated a legend from the Four Horsemen scene in Morgantown, West Virginia, the founder of Sidekicks and Shields from back in the day, the first Lumen of
1: the Lumen Clan to chuck dice in this game, Mr. Dane Lumen. And in episode 6, Stephen DMR Armada Cookus shined his light on one of the original titans of the game, hailing from Stephen's own locale, the great state of Texas, the first U.S. national champion and runner-up in the first world's event, the original maker and breaker of meadows, not to mention a member of Dysonon, the dastardly David Walsh. And finally, Dice Master's very
0: own living tribunal, the ruler of rules, Mr. Paul Kushner, nominated the force known as Endymon aka Chris Lanise, not only for his incredible success as a pilot, we're looking at you, Salt Lake City Gaming Con, but for his continued behind-the-scenes support of the game and for his work as a judge in several of the U.S. Nationals and World's tournaments. So that's a mighty list of names. Indeed. All of them incredibly worthy. And we should mention, before we go any further, that once you're nominated... Those not selected today remain in the nominated state, ready to be selected in the future. If some future guest chooses someone who's already been nominated before, then that person now has two votes toward a possible induction, which will hopefully take us out of the precarious bind which we find
1: ourselves in at the moment. Yeah, because we had to break the tie. Well, fortunately
0: on this occasion, some of the work was done for us, because several of the players who were retired at the time of their nomination came out of retirement, at least temporarily, to play this past season.
1: And that's good news for all of us to still have them in the game. Yep. First,
0: the great Michael Lee reappeared on the scene to roll some dice.
1: Then Junior came out of retirement to tear it up at the 2019 U.S. Nationals, taking his team to top eight.
0: Not only Junior, but Dane Luman was there too, finishing top four
1: at the event. Which leaves Russell Love, the KO King, Nick Pham from Dyson on, David Walsh, the original U.S. National Champion, and Chris Indimon lanise for us to agonize over. Well,
0: we weighed, we sweated, and we passed priority between each other multiple times before we finally pulled the trigger for this first induction. And it's my great honor to bring to the show today the one and only original U.S. National Champion, Mr. Formerly Weapon 10 himself, David
2: Wall David, welcome to Rolling Thunder Thank you so much for having me and for everything. That is amazing. I'm so, I don't know, surprised, I guess. It's been it's been a bit of a gap between the last times I paid attention and all of this great stuff and the way that the game's kind of picked up. So yeah, thanks so much for having me on. How's it going?
0: Oh, it's great. And it's a great pleasure. Like one of our big things in the show we like to do is kind of celebrate the history of the game and point out ebbs and flows of the meta and things like that. So it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. We were excited when Steven nominated you. What was that, episode uh, six
1: or seven? Episode, something? I think it might have been episode, yes, six, episode six. <laughs> okay,
2: well, cool. Well, welcome to the show, David. How are you? I'm doing great. I think that was uh, episode six. That's about one of my friends hit me up and said, hey, there's an interesting Dice Masters thing you might want to check out. And yeah, I listened to, that was the first episode I heard. I went back and listened through all the archive and got caught up to date and all that and that's what's been kind of just getting me back into it you know slowly paying attention to the meta. I didn't even realize you know we were up on worlds when all that great casting and commentary happened so I got to watch all that and thanks for having me on. That's exciting because one of the
0: things that I really had hoped to do with this podcast was bring some folks who might have you know fallen away from the game for a while or taken a hiatus or whatever to re-inspire them to to rejoin the community so
2: to hear 100% you hear that yep.
0: listening that's fantastic.
2: Yep got me back into the Checking out the Facebook groups, doing my old lurking style. So, yeah, <laughs> always watching. <laughs> the eye of <in> the sky. <laughs> always lurking, okay. always watching.
0: <laughs> well, so you, were, you were there from the start, correct? I mean, you joined the game pretty much near the beginning, if memory
2: serves me, correct? So I started in... I think November ish of 2014. I think it was right before Yu Gi Oh!, in between Uncanny and Yu Gi Oh! Okay. There was like the WizKids Opens had already happened. Like the meta was pretty established. Everything was trucking along pretty well when I heard about it. I think by the time Nationals 2015, you know, I'd been playing for a couple of months solid by that point and like, you know, trying really hard for maybe like a month and a half or two.
0: Oh, good for you. Wow, you picked it up fast.
2: Yeah, I, I played a lot of similar games, and I think a lot of the competitive scene was really similar to iterations of Magic the Gathering metas. And okay. so I always kind of just fit everything into that context. I didn't feel like it was starting new. I felt like I was just inserting this new... It was basically like a new magic set that there were dice, you know? So I just <laughs> well, kind of played it that way. That's cool. I always felt that the people who came from magic had a big leg up. Can
0: you talk to me about what it is that you took from magic and what the similarities slash differences were?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities in the way that you use energy manipulation in a similar way to like the chain or the stack in magic, kind of thinking about it the same you know multi-layered almost like esoteric approach we're really thinking about the different layers and the way that very specific very subtle interactions and timings can work with each other that's a really common theme between the two where you're just having to really focus on the very small details and how they all add up into the larger picture all the time But the other thing similar to me was like coming from a brewing and team building standpoint, I really like every team I ever made was based on a magic deck. And it was always about finding a power card that I really liked and finding a deck that used that in magic and building a similar, as similar of a support structure as I could around that card and finding that you could be so much more direct in building because you got to definitely get that thing. Whereas in Magic, you know, you put that one item into a stack of cards and hope that it comes out. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Right. That's actually one of the things I always liked about Dice Masters.
0: You know, it was an ultimate information game and and that it wasn't this this random, well, I hope my thing comes out. And if it lines up nicely, it'll be all be good.
2: <laughs> right. And and so many tricks and elements to like manipulate that RNG at the end level when you come down to is it going to be an energy face or is it going to be a character? That's that's exactly why when Polymorph came out, I got so excited. And that was the centerpiece of everything to me to go. There's finally a card that doubles my chances at rolling a character face. And I hate sitting there unable to run a character face. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: Luke and I were it, just talking about that. Luke, do you well, want to ask?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite things about Dice Masters is just being able to like mathematically figure out this is my percent chance of doing this and this is my percent chance of doing this and here's what I gain from one option, here's what I gain from the other, let's weigh out these two things and decide which is more valuable it makes you feel super strategic (laughs) oh yeah kind of
2: cool (laughs) and there's endless layers where you can sit there and talk with your buddies which is the most fun to me you know me and kelly and the dice non guys and everybody sitting around just saying oh well if you do that then i can do this but if you do that i could do this and i could bring this extra card and throw a new wrench in the whole scenario and that's where we just ended up multi-layers deep into that and getting to the point of like prismatic spray i i was known because i hated that card so much because it was the ultimate of like take my giant stack of possibilities and scenarios and just say nope none of that works anymore like oh great nowadays that just results in like well i throw this at you and you throw
1: that at me and i throw this at you and you throw that at me now i have 25 cards on my team what are we going to do about
2: this right and again the ninja battle of getting back to the core of what makes sense right yeah exactly
0: well there's two things you brought up that i want to get into more deeply later but i can't pass up the polymorph discussion as we go on you had described Hmm. your teams at one point as polymorph teams and you know at first blush a lot of folks would have said oh they're a wolverine team or they're a hulk team or or
2: whatever but now i love
0: that you said polymorph because it's such a great card you just talked about the percentages going up with polymorph can you can you elaborate on that a little bit for the newer player
2: yeah so polymorph the idea for A Polymorph-centric deck came off of a deck from Magic called Gifts Ungiven.
1: I am the Sky Lucan breaking in here to read out the Polymorph ability. Polymorph. Swap a fielded character with a non-NPC character from that player's use pile. Spin the character to level 1. This does not trigger when fielded effects. Global. Pay a mask. Spin one of your characters down a level to spin
2: another character up a level. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. To me, it's a similar percentage-based equalizer where you're saying, if you have an answer, I can negate that answer by default by the way that I played in the first place. And yeah, percentage-wise, I only look at Polymorph as, okay, if I buy two Wolverines and they both show up, it's not really handy because you can only swing one Wolverine at a time. But if I buy a Polymorph and a Wolverine and Wolverine shows up, then I can buy a Hulk and the other person gets to crap in their pants, you know, and <laughs> have an unfortunate day. So you know, the few times, I don't think that happened more than like twice on stream where I had, you know, got that deep into what that team was built to do. Right. But the whole like, in a lot of the commentary where they talk about that, I didn't bring ping because I didn't want to have my Wolverine killed off was absolutely correct. But also the fact that Hulk wasn't supposed to be pinged. I wasn't trying to do that strategy. I didn't want to get Serenid and I didn't want to get Human Torched and I didn't want to get gobbied. And right. as soon as I put Hulk on, I turn all of those things off. And people who at the time, especially the meta, was really centric to those cards. And all of mm-hmm. those teams, I just had free wins because no one had a backup. They didn't know what to do. Interesting. And so I was like, why do I need to ping it? It just turns off the stuff I'm scared of. But getting back to the question, it really was all based off of the pivot possibility that Polymorph introduced on top of the fact that my first three or four turns were all based on just setting up polymorph. I never, the couple of games that I had on streams were was recorded where I bought Gobby's or Serena's or anything that wasn't just polymorph was because I literally like got super screwed. And my <laughs> Gobby was there for if somehow I rolled three bolts Right, And and that happened twice on stream. So Gabi got purchased. Like Serena was there for if I somehow rolled three fists, you know, it's like they were just literally fixes for like the worst possible case scenarios to be like, okay, at least it's a super rare that comes out of that. But the core plan was always to get the sidekick to blue eyes in the polymorph buy. And if I was afraid of what the other person was about to do, I'd buy a Hulk. And if I wasn't, I would buy a Wolverine. And most of the time I ended up buying a Wolverine because the level of pressure that I knew I was coming with usually wasn't matched because we already had my first spider bomb team nerfed at that point. So I had to do something else. I'm
1: just wondering now, nowadays, we don't have PXG anymore. So I'm Mm. just wondering how you think that that affects the strength of Polymorph.
2: Yeah, hugely. But the whole way that I played was built off of PXG. You could almost say, you know, my teams were a PXG team first, then a Polymorph team second, because... In my opinion, if if I were running the game, PXG would just be a default effect that occurred as a rule, and Professor X would just be the ultimate character of the whole game, especially because he's awesome anyway. Um, um, so
1: I, I, I take it you really miss Professor X.
2: Yeah, that's the one thing that keeps me from like really diving back in to the game at any point is I constantly check back in and say, like, have they done anything to replicate <laughs> the PXG effect? Then no, I'm out still. Well, cause,
0: they have some stuff. coming up they've done it so that you can't do it on your opponent's turn which which nerfs it significantly Mm -hmm. but interesting it's interesting to see when you came into the game you came in after pxg was a thing
2: yeah everybody knew knew how to use it
0: experience of before it
2: no kelly kelly taught me pxg and distraction he showed me both of the really deep layers that those two cards can take the game like immediately. And the first thing I ever, I'm, I'm always the guy who gifts and given is perfect. After this, uh, look up the gifts and given magic card and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I love cards with way too much text that make zero sense. The first 20 times you read them. Right. Those those are my favorite cards. And then figuring out, oh, wait, what if you, this, right. and then you look up the rules and go, Oh, it totally works like that. Yeah. It's, that's just my favorite thing. I mean, polymorph is one of those when I really, dipped into it. Most people were like, I don't really get it. And I, I got a lot of comments after the stream at nationals for using defensive polymorph to polymorph in mm-hmm. gobbies and stuff like that because <laughs> take away their wind fielded. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people hadn't even really thought about like, well, what if polymorph just shows up for no reason? And it's funny because there's actually a mistake that Kelly and I missed in the very first match where he goes through with his PXGs and ends up moving over Gabi because it just effects in the way stuff works when I still have a chance to polymorph it in. Right. Um, Which he definitely, you know, he wasn't trying to be mean or like he totally just did it because he knows exactly what I'm going to do. We're all just going through the motions to the next turn. But this is one of the few times when I was like, Oh, actually I'm not about to swing Wolverine at you. Like you think it's going to happen. I actually need to be polymorphing in Gabi, but Gabi's already been moved. But uh, yeah. That was the one time, like it looks like a way bigger misstep. And then you realize like, Oh wait, we both messed up fair enough right well it happens to the best of us
0: well i'm gonna just run down your team so that people who are listening who might not be familiar with it and by the way all this stuff will be links and things for all this stuff that we're talking about in the show notes but your team your nationals team the 2015 nationals team was basic actions were relentless and polymorph Mm -hmm. characters and the action cards were psylocke quantum the assassin black widow serena green goblin gobby Wolverine, formerly Weapon 10, which is the card that I really think about when I think about your team. Doom Caliber Knight, Fiendish Fighter. Hulk, Green Goliath, Professor X, Recruiting Young Mutants, and Blue Eyes, White Dragon, Monstrous Dragon. Now, Blue Eyes and Doom Cal were there for the globals for the most part, correct?
2: Yeah, those are never going to be bought.
0: Yeah. Right. It's interesting. We'll talk later about the differences between this team and your Worlds team because there are some significant ones. Mm-hmm. But first, talk to us about the brewing and the playtesting for the Nationals tournament. The Nationals tournament was our first really big Wiz Kids event. And it Mm -hmm. was in Maryland,
2: correct? Yeah, in Glen Burnie, Maryland. Interesting trip and an interesting place, but that was all surprisingly nice and well done, so it was all pretty cool. But yeah, as for the brewing, that was really a meta established at the time via Google Hangouts, so there was Mm -hmm. just a lot of us playing after hours, after work, and late at night. Lots of people. We all met up on uh, the Facebook group originally. I don't think that actual Facebook group exists anymore, but... Yeah, a lot of playing with Scott Hill and Kelly and Dice Non-Guys. Mm-hmm. And so that really like showed me like what people think is good. Because people would show up to that and we'd all try hard hats on and do our best and try to be tournament level. And at the time, what were the other type of teams that mm. you were facing generally? The main control thing was like a distraction-based beast team the beast that you make a beast wall with and you don't want to hit him that guy remember him well (laughs) yeah so there there was a like there was a lot of variants on that that mostly used the five cost storm to reroll your guys and do damage to you yep and it was pretty much just like a battle of attrition like how quick could it put its wall up and then sit there and slowly kill you with lucky storm rolls Mm -hmm. then there was like obviously gobby serena teams do the obvious buy lots of gobby's buy lots of serena's and throw them at you yep then there was flying sidekicks which used like all the things that buff sidekicks. There's like a falcon. There was a bunch mm-hmm. of little weird little make your sidekicks good. Yeah. Which is what led to my first ever team that I built, Spider-Bomb with Venom. Ah, uh, right. Because Royal I hated flank sidekicks. Yep. I hate it. That's actually what happened at worlds. Why I ended up with that stupid manicore Cause I forgot my venom. Ooh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is so funny. Cause I saw some list where it's like, uh, here's a set format proposition where we're going to ban cards that have been in the finals before. Right. And I look at <laughs> It's like core. Let's go. <laughs> Poor manicore always getting picked on. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad I got manicure banned. Oh, it's so good. I, I don't know if that's actually how it ended up, but I saw that list and it made me, maybe chuckle. So yeah, that that was mostly what I was dealing with and what I was building against at the time, what led me to build Spider-Bomb because I saw that Spider-Man card and the way that I read it from a magic standpoint, it looked like Dice Masters was designed to originally have 30 health because Spider-Bomb makes sense if you have 30 health. The card, you wouldn't have to errata it if it was like down to 15, but it was like so rough to Spider-Bomb because I would just Spider-Bomb people twice and then throw Serena's at them. And it's just right. like, good luck. What are you going to do? Hopefully you have infinite stuff to roll down and you don't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but then they eroded Spider-Bomb and I immediately had to start rethinking the whole thing. And spider bomb is like, he was a four cost fist, like there's a lot of parallels if you just look at the first build for Spider Bomb and my Nationals team, because I just tried to, like, parody it as best I could, it's like, get as close <laughs> as I could.
0: Well, for those of us who weren't around at the time, could you remind everybody what the errata was, what it was before and what it is now?
2: They went from, it used to take half of your opponent's health just when you attacked right. so you didn't actually have to do damage i think they eroded it to you have yeah. to do damage or it was one or the other he couldn't do damage and do combat damage i believe was right the thing. he
0: used to be able to do his effect and do combat and damage. do damage
2: yeah so if you relentless him through it was just like hey you're at five deal with this yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was so rough
0: you know the other thing that people back in the day used to talk about you a lot about being the guy who was able to set things up two or three turns in advance mm. uh, you know is that something that you were aware of? or you practiced or is it just something that you took from magic? What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's, it's definitely not something I was aware of or practiced. And it's, I think it definitely could be part of the way you have to think about magic and like the stack or the chain, whatever you want to call it in magic, just thinking extra layers. But a lot of times it was, I just approach it in a really simple way. It's like, I have a thing that I want to do. Look at my Wolverine team. We're not really Hiding it here. There's no secret. I want Wolverine to hit your face as hard as I can. And I don't want you to kill Wolverine. And I don't want you to kill me before I hit you with Wolverine twice. That's all I want to do. There's not anything else to it. But you're going to do a bunch of stuff to not let that happen. Right. So I'm always going to push that Wolverine towards your face, but at the same time, I'm always going to take any action that can get the stuff out of the way to prevent that from happening, which again, it sounds oversimplified, but I think that's what leads to it seeming like it's a little bit more premeditated than right. I consciously thought of it because I was always just thinking, cool. And in four turns, I can hit him with Wolverine. Yeah. In three turns now. <laughs> oh, now we're out to five turns. What am I going to do about this? Okay. Hulk has to show up and help. You know what I mean? Like it's just like permeations of that. So is that like what, your mentality
1: is coming into every game? Is that what like informs your play style?
2: Yeah, for sure. Simplicity and consistency. I, I There were some interviews where I would say consistency is key. Um, and I think that's stronger than, you know, power scales or meta elements or just overall making sure you can simply do the thing you want to do and do it almost every time. And honestly, a way worse team seems way better in my head if it does its thing way more consistently than some crazy OTK team that does it once in five hundred rolls, you know, whatever.
0: Right. Let me ask you this. Now, back in the day it was always a talk about, especially with PXG, about when to break ramp. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that as a topic? Like, okay, I'm gonna break ramp now because I know in two turns that I'm gonna I need this thing to do its thing.
2: And yeah. I- Yeah. That was always, I always like do everything you can not to break ramp. And so it's like always, always maintain the ramp. But yeah, the moment of like, I always think about it's just like pull the trigger. And it's like, I I have to pull the trigger on this team if I want to win. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I'm thinking every turn is how do I win this turn? I I always think lethal damage, lethal damage, lethal damage after every time I touch a dice, you see the if you see in any of the streams, I do a weird thing where I hold my hands on the dice forever before I let them go Mm -hmm. as if to indicate like I could move it back like in chess or something. And it's literally like me just moving it and thinking, wait, can I kill you? Because the thing I'm trying to do, I'm not actually trying to kill you. And you'll see any action I take that's aggressive and towards actually trying to do damage, I never hold my finger on it because I know, go, 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 go. This is it. This is when I got to swing. So yeah, ramp and ramp breaking is always centric to like, can I kill the person now or like within a few turns before they can kill me? And if so, again, it's seeming oversimplification, but that's just how I approach it. I just started, what's the shortest line between A and B and A is me and B is you being dead? right and it sounds like you're also evaluating how grave a danger you are
0: and from your opponent's board position right
2: absolutely it's i play like mid-range all the time because i'm always like i guess you know the second thought after like can i kill you is like can you kill me (laughs) Right. okay oh crap wait you can okay yeah i might be able to kill you in two turns but you can get me in one so i gotta act that way and i so in rpgs and Like World of Warcraft, every game I've ever played, I'm a mage player. Always play mages. I have two modes. I have attack and kill or run away from my life. So I'm always in one of those two modes, right? So the first, like, okay, can I kill you? Nope. All right, then run away from my life. Put your hands up.
1: So speaking of getting close to killing people, with all those really irritating beast wall teams that were running around back in the day, Mm they just mm-hmm. wall up and ramp off your aggression. Mm-hmm. How would you deal with that with no very clear cut board clear aside from relentless? Yeah.
2: I made a Dyson on article about a Nova build mm-hmm. and I, that's why I made that Nova team because the new local store that opened, everyone was playing beast control. And that's what led to me looking for direct damage counters in any way. Because it's like, cool, you can put as many beasts up. If I just start attacking your face, we're good. You know, if I don't have to get past the beast. Also, I just started rolling on Nova's at people as much as I could. But that kind of had to fizzle itself out. And there was other teams that I wasn't as into playing that beat those teams pretty bad. Like the later builds of the Johnny storm and gobby teams where people really honed in on like getting that damage pretty quick. Right. They could burn through like pretty fast. So honestly, that was one of those meta elements that got dealt with for me. Luckily, based on like the way I play versus how other aggressive people decided to approach it, which like obviously Kelly was one of those guys and me and him played all our locals together basically. So he like covered the stuff that I had issues with and I covered the stuff he had issues with. So one of us always won. That's excellent. So you guys were really bringing each other up by battling with one another. Big time. He was way better than me when we started playing like for months and months, he just completely stomped me. And then I finally caught up and I usually have a thing when I play with my friends where it usually takes me a little bit longer longer to catch up but when i catch up i usually master it pretty quickly so we had that cool back and forth where he got a good opponent and i got to get brought up extra quick so
1: so i'm just wondering really quickly before we move on Mm. the way that your teams are sort of aggressive in in a world without doom caliber knight how do you make these aggressive combat damage teams still work while distraction is still global in the game
2: yeah it's You kind of don't. It's tough. I think that's where you really just have to lean on consistency and trying to make sure you have direct damage ways in any capacity. So at least like if you're fighting a wall, the best you can do is wall up and have direct damage to back it up and hope that they're not playing the same thing. And then it's kind of just on who goes first. You really get into deep layers of RNG when you can't really be aggressive and I'm not good at that, so I avoid it by default. <laughs> um, I definitely always try to build in another way where I don't have to get like sitting in like board state parity, where we both have like giant boards and neither of us really want to swing because nobody knows what to do. Is like I can't exist. I I don't know what to do. <laughs> okay. So so root, 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 root. so as
1: no, no so so as a really <laughs> aggressive player, at what point do you say? I've put enough on my team to counter what other people have brought. If somebody brings this card that completely destroys me, so be it. At what point do you stop adding countermeasures on your team?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. It, that's a difficult thing to assess, and it's obviously really meta-based. But I usually go on percentage, like win percentages of other teams. And so I don't worry as much about how badly they can beat me, but how bad they can beat everybody else, and then to what degree they can beat me, if that makes sense. So like... Okay. yeah. I'll, I'll just try to not dodge somebody after a certain point. And it's just like, you know what? You win really well against another element that isn't me, you don't do that well against me. Like that's not that scary. But if they're like stomping a hard counter to me, there's a good chance I'm gonna meet them later in bracket, and I don't want that to happen. Right. right? So that's when I really put a some type of countermeasure in. Like obviously, when I look at my world's team, I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I really should have put Prismatic Spray instead of Manticore when I forgot venom because that would have done what I was trying to avoid, which is those crazy kobold teams.
0: Yeah, interesting. Before we get on that, I want we will go right into worlds right after this because i do want to contrast the two teams which Mm -hmm. i think will be an interesting uh, exercise but before that you've mentioned rng a couple times and for those of us who don't know what that is can you define that for everybody
2: yeah just random number generation and the infinite layers of possibilities and probabilities in the way that all the different elements stack and you know you think of Mm -hmm. uh, chess rng and it's like how many different permeations of possibilities happen after 11 moves in chess and it's like insane huge yeah. amount right oh, yeah. infinite like so but you then think about dice masters and it's like one turn from each of us and we're in the realm of infinite that's awesome No. Yep.
0: you have a background in numbers and math or anything like that
2: that's helped you to uh, calculate these kind of things the opposite i have to do most simple <laughs> math on my fingers it's like <laughs> most of the time my turns are taking so long i'm sitting there like calculating the math of my fingers but i think in really macro terms very easily uh-huh. so by default like things that will seem like complex math i effectively like I'm really, really good at guessing. So, so right. I just guess as close as I can. And then, yeah, but definitely no, no background. I like to do um, research when I find out, oh, there's st- statistical probability and a lot of like logical fantasies that occur around those. And that can help me build. So I'm going to learn about those. So I kind of will just learn those as I go.
0: Awesome. OK, so you had your nationals team, which we've already went over. And then you had your world's team and there how many months were between Nationals and Worlds Nationals was at Glen Burnie correct and then Worlds was at Origins i believe correct a couple of months okay so there was a couple of months for people to kind of take a look at your team and then try to tech against it. And you made some adjustments too. I'm just going to run down your world team so that people can remember. The same basic actions, Polymorph and Relentless. Mm -hmm. You had three of your other eight cards were the same. You had, of course, Wolverine, formerly Weapon 10. You had Professor X, and you had Blue Mm -hmm. Eyes. Both of those Mm -hmm. were there for the Global. But the rest of the cards were different. You ran Lord of D, Dragon Protector. Mm-hmm. You ran the Manticore, what we just talked about recently. Good old Manicore. <laughs> you ran Doom Caliber Knight, but not the one with the global. You did the Action Hate one. Yep. Uh, I'm assuming that's because of Prismatic Spray, but we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. You and your Spider-Man Web Slinger. The mm-hmm. Genzo Trap Destroyer was your last edition. who's also a really strong card. Can you talk to me about the – I mean, this seems like a little bit slower – Mm-hmm. but potentially pretty controlling and nasty. Can you talk about the changes you made and why you made them and any regrets?
2: Yeah, they. I had to change a lot of stuff because like you said, after that, the polymorph teams really caught on mm-hmm. after the Nationals result. And so it got hairy really quick, worrying about like people polymorphing in Hulk and dealing with the problem I created at that point. It's like, well, I need Lord of D to deal with other polymorphs pretty much so people can't Wolverine me. Was the idea there, right? It was like, then if I'm not on the play, then I'll just get my Lord of D and polymorph him in as if he were my Wolverine. I'll just leave him there. You couldn't relentless him out of there, right? Right, Right. exactly. So no matter what, he was a wall that would stand in the way. And I didn't want to have like that Hulk smash battle, if I could avoid it, where I put the Hulk down, you put the Hulk down and you ping your Hulk, who pings my Hulk, that it's impossible to like, you know, determine how that's going to work out. Right. So I just didn't want to get into that game. And so Lord of D was kind of another way. Mm-hmm. Plus it caught people off guard. Whenever somebody has to say, hey, can I read that? It's like, I see that as a good sign. Cause it's like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The, the Lord
1: D back in the day was extremely popular with the ring of magnetism, right? Which made everything mm-hmm. target, whatever the ring of magnetism was sitting yep. on my, put it on your opponent's stuff too. Yep. It was really popular with Lord of D because you put the ring of magnetism on Lord of D and now all of your opponent's things that target are on freeze. Yep. I'm just curious, why did you not use Ring of Magnetism on this team?
2: I didn't like the extra setup turn for putting the ring on it. And I felt like in playtesting, I got the same benefit just by having the Lord of D alone, Mm -hmm. where I really just wanted to fend off one or two big swings from a super fat Hulk from a Nick Fury buffing him up and different spider bombs and then pumps a lot of people were running pumps too to like give extra attack to stuff and so the lord of D could like step in and deal with that one turn when i was going to get smashed by that the only reason i played lord of d was because he was half of that amazing combo and like otherwise i never would have really paid that much attention but when i was playing it i realized wow if the ring doesn't show up i still just have a really good lord of d here he's really good
0: and how many turns would you say you know your nationals team how you were
2: killing what four or five turns generally yeah pretty much world's team The world's team was, yeah, way slower. Sometimes if they had a really global heavy team, then Jinzo could speed it up so much. People would burn themselves with Jinzo forgetting that they could still get smashed with Wolverine. Like (laughs) it happens so much. And I just see people just like, well, going to just play how I play. And it's like, oh, that was a mistake because I can like literally OTK you. Do I just, next time Polymorph shows up, fat buy Wolverine, let's go, you know. What was your buy order Can you contrast your buy order on the two teams real quick? It was pretty much the same except on the Wolverine, whereas I'm going for polymorph to start and then I'm going to polymorph into like depending on how open their board is and if I can relentless people out of the way, uh, the beats or, you know, they're the beat down and I'm going to have to polymorph in my counter. And the thing was, it was just like everyone expected my Hulk counter polymorph and which is why there's like. Extra stuff, pretty much like how Manicor and Lord of D both ended up. Uh, Manicor was supposed to be Venom, and I literally forgot the stupid card and I couldn't find one to buy. Uh, there was one shop that was selling them there at the venue, and the card was literally $50. <laughs> That's
0: so funny. I remember this when we went to WK I looking at it, and I, I did the exact same thing, and we ended up buying two cases of <laughs> <Fruit laughs> Undersea, trying to find the gravity feeds. Two feeds, so, yep didn't show up it was so frustrating (laughs)
2: yep exactly same scenario and like the one i see it's like i'm not paying that and if you really look at Manicore, he does one damage to fielded stuff i think is his deal and so he could like still knock out like combination of sidekicks and kobold wall that people would put up because if you have more than like four blockers wolverine's not having a very good day it's like too many masks to break through. Uh, and back to the question, that's a, a good situation that answers when do you break ramp? Will you break ramp when you can relentless enough stuff out of the way to let Wolverine smash, you know? And that was most of the time when I'd break ramp because I'd just go like, oh, there's 12 damage. Okay. Time to pop the claws. <laughs> yep. Let's see see how this ends up. Yep. Roll the dice literally. Well, that's awesome. I mean, you know
0: you've done your job when you eventually affect a ban on a card. I mean, I think... You were probably, I mean, there were other people too, but you were probably one of the most significant contributors to the ban on
2: Relentless. So hats off to you for that. Yeah, I i definitely abused the crap out of that card. So yeah, if that's my claim to fame, I'll take that. Well, I think, I think you know, with Wolverine smiling and shining his claws,
1: the two things go hand in hand so well. So if you really quickly to clarify on like the when do you break ramp question that you asked. If you have enough masks in your reserve pool to get a Wolverine through for 12 damage, but then mm-hmm. not be able to ramp, is that a situation where you break ramp? Absolutely. You send through for 12.
2: Yep. All that ramp exists to get to that situation where you can break ramp so that Wolverine can do 12. So yeah, uh, that that is the trigger for sure. Yeah, good question. Clarification. And let's talk about the Doomcal. Because the, yeah. the Doomcal, that's
0: interesting. And and they errated that card too, which is a weird one, where it's like, you know, mm. you had two Doomcals out. And yeah, somebody used an action, you had to KO both of them,
2: right? Sure. Yep. So you could protect yourself from spray. Right. But the funny thing is that's kind of a Bush League move that I pulled with that card, and it worked the entire tournament. Really? The whole idea was I figured people would not realize it wasn't the Doomcal with the global, and I would just play it as if I was playing that card. Right. And people thought it was that. It worked mo- It worked on stream. I won't point it out, but it happens on stream
0: play yeah that's really smart yeah because uh, at first blush you just think okay it's it's the one with the global right
1: I, yeah I something like that on accident and it actually didn't work out for me at all but it was kind of <laughs> cool because you know shriek it's around now it's kind of miserable oh, yeah. three, two three yep. costs i mixed them up brought the wrong one <laughs> And nobody even noticed. I never bought it all day. It was just there to like, if you buy your shriek, I'm going to buy my We're shriek. You're going to do it. Yep. <laughs> style. So they just <laughs> never bought their shriek and I never bought my shriek. And I was just like, please don't notice. Please don't yep.
2: notice. Yep. Exactly. Yep. It happened in a game that I played with Dyson on guy now, but um, I was testing counters for prismatic spray and I ended up getting a swing through and I'm like, that's weird. Why didn't you distraction? He's like, cause you would just doom caliber. I was like, that's not him. <laughs> Wait, what? And I was like, oh, no one's ever going to notice, are they? And he's like, no one's ever going to notice. They look exactly the same.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, you know, at first blush, you think Wolverine needs that uh, Doomcal to, to make sure he goes undistracted, but you were able to uh-huh. make even, even so.
2: Yeah. But, and the other thing is distraction. So the way that the meta was affected after that, though, lots of people weren't running distraction because they knew that I was just going to bring doom caliber anyway. So, so not only did the people, the few people left who did bring it, could they be fooled way less people brought it in the first place? Because Hey, there's such a meta counter. Why even waste the time when everybody's going to be running this? Right. So
0: it seems like you had a very good sense of being able to keep your finger on the pulse, of the meta, I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like sometimes you were able to brew something with the meta in mind. Mm-hmm. How much is that instinctive? How much that is is that play testing? I, what do you think about that in terms of just having a sense of the meta?
2: Yeah, I think that's probably a lot of play testing. And I'm just a fairly neurotic person when I get into something. I just I think about it all the time. I feel like there's just an extra process in the back of my head, always kind of spinning on something. And when I'm really into a thing, it's that. So I just you know, I'm at work and I'm checking Facebook groups and watching discussions. And there was a lot of like really deep, hard discussion of interactions on Facebook. I'm not sure how the climate is these days, but thinking about that kind of thing and just reading through just endless threads of people talking really deeply about these different possibilities. Yeah. Just kind of kept me thinking at a macro level and just trying to, I also kind of have a personal issue with like, like net deckers, if you will. It, it, it bothers me and I get annoyed when I see people playing like the best thing because it's the best thing repeatedly. <laughs> right, And so I just, I get this weird extra level where I, I have, I'm, it makes me just want to show them, you know, like, no, there's a better way. If you just play the same thing, there's always a way to beat that same thing. Yeah. It's like, no matter how strong it is. So.
1: so, so when you're play testing against all the teams that you can imagine, mm-hmm. do you decide what team you end up using? based on what team you anticipate being the most popular, or do you anticipate the strongest team always being mm. the most popular, regardless of what's going on online?
2: Yeah, I, I usually do kind of assume that the strongest team is going to be the most popular from that just initial set of any competitive game I've ever played. There's just a subset of... I call it the Ryu, because if you go to Street Fighter, and like Ryu's the best character in Street Fighter 2, and there's a certain people who will always play, you know, the quote unquote best character. And I think that's like strangely the majority, which is like, that's fine to a degree. It's just when you see stuff that everybody has unanimously decided is like kind of unanswerable without taking extreme measures that I get frustrated with. Like, I'll I'll be honest, Flying Sidekicks back in my day, I hated that deck so much. And I built so much that all the first teams I built were really just to try to deal with that and be faster with that. So yeah, I really, I play, when I'm playing, I do assume like if something's strong and obviously fast, I usually assume that that's going to be fairly popular, but you can also do the same with like, if something's really controly. like for the Prismatic Spray team, it was just like, like there's no question about the layer of control of this adds. You roll this, it shows up. You play it, and it sucks for the other guy. There's correct. no other variable here. So <laughs> do that, right? It <laughs> seemed yeah. like Genzo
0: also kind of started rearing his ugly head. In between nationals and worlds, he really started to show up a lot more. If, if yeah, maybe, that to be correct.
2: No, you're right, and that and that was. And I'm not taking. You know, it's not trying to take credit for the situation, but that was a lot of a uh, how polymorph change the meta in the sense of like for the high cost guys, there's an extra layer in risk of buying something that costs more than four, because then if it doesn't show up, it's like significant investment that's been wasted. Whereas if you have the additional polymorph roll to get that huge guy in, then, you know, it's not as big of a risk. And then especially with blue eyes in there. So before we could, you know, blue eyes buy and do all sorts of stuff to get Jinzo's in there and then hope that they showed up on the turn that they needed to right. show up. But then if they didn't, you were pretty much screwed because you have this weird shield cost now and all that stuff. But, <laughs> right. but yeah, polymorphing him in and just saying like, yep, here you go. Turn three or four. There's definitely this dude.
0: you yeah. your heart out.
2: <laughs> yep. Have a nice day. Exactly. And that's what, like what, when I could see somebody manipulating PXG and, blue eyes and just all the globals correctly on the first turn because that just initial advantage it gives you that's when it was just like okay this is dangerous if i can get jinzu out there to slow this down and i had a game on stream where that happened where my initial role a guy goes crazy on some he had some weird all villains team Mm -hmm. at worlds and it was like like it was a crazy wacky team but also just the way he manipulated his globals on the first turn it was like it was alarming because it's like, oh, he's going to do a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with, that. you know, all of that. So I'm just going to play this so that he doesn't do that anymore. And he he did the lean into just burning himself really bad. And yeah, he he had, he did the have to turn Wolverine sideways, which is unfortunate too. When you're like, wait, how much damage did I just take? And- <laughs> oh great, I will
0: I will try to find the link to that game and and put it in the show notes. So yeah. I want to go back real quick, jump back in time. You were talking about some of the great players that you played with back in the day, the Kelly Davies, mm-hmm. other folks in Texas. Talk to me about your original scene. And I had heard somewhere that Stuart had come and played with you guys from a period of time and that you were helped coach him up. Were there any other people you mentored along the way who uh, are sort of, I want to say, uh, offspring of David Walsh?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, if only. Stuart was definitely awesome. He He was really curious and really... He was scary to play against because I would just say, you know, a a pretty, what I figured to be like a fairly developed meta concept or element to him. And he's already like doing it in the game that we're playing. (laughs) It's just like, whoa, holy crap, this guy's going to be really good. And so he, he definitely approached it in the way that I approached it in the beginning as well of just like, look, I know nothing. The meta is everything, whoever I can get close to that understands that. And for me, it was Kelly. And for him, it was me and Kelly. You know, like, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to, if I don't understand what these guys say, I'm not going to dismiss it. I'm going to wait until I do because it's going to make sense and help. And yeah, he was, he was great. Besides that, nobody really approached it to that, to that degree. That's actually kind of a similar thing. I'm really into the competitive scene for Super Smash Brothers Melee. And that's what a lot of players say they do. And the only way to break into the crazy game that is Melee is to, to find really good people and find a way to play with them. And so, yeah, we, we both kind of followed suit in that. And I don't, I haven't seen anybody else really do it to that degree w- w- for myself. You know, that you could say is like any type of uh, mentorship in any way, but yeah, he came and played a lot. Our local scene was, that was when it was like down to Kelly and I, and it happened, unfortunately where like Kelly and I were definitely the tryhards in the city where some people were trying to plan to win. Some people were playing to have fun and I definitely don't play to be mean, but I always try to win because right. It's just my nature. Um, And so there hit a point where, especially after we were first and second place nationals, we thought more people would show up, but like less people did because Uh they thought that they, yeah, didn't really have a chance. It's like, oh, those two guys are going to win. And, you know, it's unfortunate. If people would have brought it up to us, we would have definitely, we do theme teams or let's do something crazy. Let's not play meta, you know, whatever. Anywho. But
0: that's a, yeah, that's an interesting point in terms of like one of the things that's really attractive about the game is that it hasn't gotten too cutthroat. You know, mm-hmm. people are still having fun, and 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 even when they're playing competitively, it's it's still a good time. Any any thoughts on that in terms of you you mentioned like doing themes and knowing a season for when to compete, and when not to. Any other thoughts about how to keep this fun for the long term?
2: Yeah, there's a study. This is going to be weird. There's a study uh, between rats where there's a dominant rat and there's his, you know, play friend when they put him in a group. And if the dominant rat doesn't let the littler rat win at least 30% of the time, the littler rat stops playing. Right. So, you know, let people win sometimes have fun. If you want to play to be competitive, always play your correct line and then purposefully make the mistake that will lead to loss. Don't just say, Oh, I'm going to play poorly because then yeah, you can develop bad habits but. Yeah, if you're just trying to play the best you can and then taking a turn at the right time, especially if you're playing someone really new, they're not not—they're not going to know the difference. Just let them win.
0: Interesting. Okay, cool. That's a good advice. All right. Well, are you ready looking for the ceremony of ceremonies?
1: Sure. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get into the ceremony of ceremonies. <laughs> All right, David. Are you
0: ready for the induction of inductions? The first of its kind, no less. I'm the readiest of ready. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, then please accompany me into the Hall of Mando's. As we push open this door and enter the land of Chirnano.
2: Oh, really big.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, notice the stream boy, isn't it gorgeous? Oh, mind the alluvium gems there. They're quite slight. And if you look to your left, you'll see an uncut
1: sheet of all farts are here. Yeah, beside the finally visible, invisible girl card. And across the festival, you'll find our collection of the Ministry of Dice wooden spoons. So that's
0: where they go. Disregard that shadow coming from behind that door, there were just five cards wanting to come back out to play. And there's your pedestal, shimmering in the mist. And that's because we have a 24-hour interactive monitor, continuously illuminating and
1: displaying the greatest victories beside your pedestal. David,
0: having been nominated by the Dice Masters community at large, and by the power vested in us by our own hubris, we hereby induct you into the Dice Masters Hall of Fame, and accord you
2: all honors and privileges therein. I believe this game with a real sword. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Be
0: careful. That's sharp. Wow, thank you so much. <laughs> Congratulations, Kogar Jahas, and welcome to the hall.
2: I'm so proud. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. And, you know, please don't be a stranger. Get in touch with us and let us know if there's anything, you know, we can do to help out your community if you want to get back in the
2: game or what have you we're always here awesome I appreciate it and I will do it's I'm always around always lurking always into it to a degree so yeah don't don't worry I'm always checking it out but yeah when, when that moment comes when we have an official PxG replacement or PxG count on me to be there <laughs> swooping in from the sky right exactly right. with my awesome new sword
0: thank you so much that's to protect you from the slee stack lurking in the corner <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, our first inductee is in the books. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, slonga full. Thanks, David.
2: Thanks so much, guys. This is awesome. I had a great time, and uh, let's do it again.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That was fun. Yeah, and remarkably relevant and timely. Remember how Jimmy was talking to us about the repeating and cyclical patterns to be found in an evolving CCG? Yeah. Well, with the advent of giant adventurers, god catchers, and face-smashing WWE superstars soon to be hitting the table, we may find ourselves in a very similar meta to the one David was just reminiscing about. And all of his advice may be applicable to the time at hand.
1: Gone ours. No doubt
0: indeed. Before we go, I want to bring up one of the other things that David mentioned after we stopped recording, but before we got off the call. And boy, I wish we had recorded what he had to say in the body of the show, but I'll do my best to paraphrase it here. He said, in Magic the Gathering, they do a three-set rotation and construction of a meta, where in the first set, they'll roll out new keywords, then in the second set, they'll build upon and flesh out those keywords with cards that create crazy combos and interactions with the keywords from the first set, and then in the third set, they'll roll out the hard counters to those keywords, but usually with some major drawbacks. And it's a great way of keeping the overall meta intentionally balanced. Seeing as one of the original Dice Masters creators and designers was also famous as a magic designer, it wouldn't surprise me to see this concept at work in Dice Masters as well.
1: If anyone has any thoughts on this subject, reach out to us via email. We'd love to hear your observations.
0: Well, my son, what do you say we hang up the spurs for the evening and hit it and quit?
1: Let's hit it and quit. E-O-I! G'niri
0: That's the end of Turn 5, my friends, and it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at RolandThunder.xyz without a G or an apostrophe, where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at Arj or Lucan at RolandThunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Wiener. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling. Agusnar Lagajia Lao. We'll be talking again soon with another awesome guest. So stay tuned. Enough said.